This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode number 214, Sarah Williams on adventure travel, why even do adventure sports, and the Tough Girl Podcast. Hey friends, Kurt here. Wow, I hope you had a fantastic weekend. I know that we did. My family and I went up to Steamboat, Colorado, which if you haven't been there, it's an amazing small town with a lovely ski area. What's neat about it is it has several hot springs in the area, and we ended up going to two different natural hot springs where we soaked and we played and we swam. There is one called Strawberry Park Hot Springs, and the water comes gushing out the side of the mountain, too hot to be in. I mean, it's it's way too hot. They mix it with icy cold creek water that's flowing down out of the hills, and they have a pool that's really hot. They have a pool that's very hot. They have a pool that's somewhat cool, and they have little hot tub pools here and there where you can just soak and have fun. And if you're really brave and you're really warm... You can dive into the icy, cold, snowmelt creek that's coming down out of the mountains. It was a lot of fun. Really, really unique atmosphere. Beautiful place to spend a few hours just soaking up the natural minerals and the warmth and the scenery and meeting new people. It was a great time. But we also had a marvelous afternoon this afternoon. Travis and his son, Harley, joined me and Dan and Luke, and we went mountain biking. And you know, my last show was on mountain biking. If you haven't heard it yet and you want to know more about mountain biking, go take a listen. But we went mountain biking at Walker Ranch, and it's about a almost eight-mile loop that starts up on a mountain at, I'm going to guess, about 8,000 feet, dives deep down this steep downhill with lots of fun switchbacks and, and turns and drops and jumps and you end up in this uh, creek bottom of South Boulder Creek. I should mention on the way in, there are sections that are just simply not bikeable. Huge, monster, steep, narrow steps that have been carved into the trail. You have to pick up your bike and carry it. And uh, it's pretty extreme, pretty fun. You come out the other side, you climb up this amazing mountain, higher than where you started for sure, thousands of verts. Then you come back down and around, back into the creek again, and then a final climb back up to where you started. Wow, it was so much fun. It's a tough trail, though. So if you like mountain biking, this one's one of the tougher ones, I think, that you'll find in the Front Range of Colorado. But I just wanted you folks to know that we're out there doing it. We're not just talking about it, and it is so fun. Find your adventure sport and do it. It adds so much to your life. We really had a great time. Now, I don't want to take up any more time. Sarah Williams really does a just a bang-up job at describing the importance of adventure sports and an adventurous lifestyle, and I don't want to waste any more time. Let's dive into today's show, Sarah Williams on adventure sports and the Tough Girl Podcast.
Today I have returning guest Sarah Williams with us. Sarah Williams is the host of the Tough Girl podcast, which is at toughgirlchallenges.com. She was on the Adventure Sports podcast way back on episode 162, and there she visited with us quite a lot about running the Marathon de Saab and about climbing Kilimanjaro. And we had just a wonderful time. I wanted to have her back on because on that show, we didn't get to talk about her podcast much. So today I want to spend more time about that. And also, she's done a lot of adventure travel, especially in South America. So I want to visit with her about adventure travel. And Sarah, I also want to kind of get into the nitty gritty of the value of adventure sports and why people should do them. So Sarah, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you very much. It's fantastic to be back. Well, Sarah, I have been listening to your show from time to time, and we have interviewed some of the same people, so we have common friends now, and I just love your show. And it's it's quite a bit different than ours, even though we're both covering adventure sports. So just for fun, why don't we start out by your sharing with our audience what your show is all about. Yeah, absolutely. So my show is called The Tough Girl Podcast, which is all about interviewing women from all over the world, from different backgrounds, from elite athletes and adventurers to ordinary women who've gone on to do amazing challenges. And that could be running the full length of a country. It could be swimming the English Channel, doing their first triathlon, going from the couch to running the London Marathon, uh, traveling and being a runner, dealing with diabetes or cycling around the world. It's a whole host of different challenges. And what I do is I interview these women just to share their stories so that other women can be inspired to try new things and to and to just get outside of their own comfort zone that's fun one thing i like about your show is that it really is focused on the ladies and that's good because i feel like it allows how to say this a a more specific nuanced approach to encouraging women specifically you know our show is is about anybody who does adventure sports male female doesn't matter and i think that our show might not get quite as in-depth to the challenges facing women today as yours does, and yours is so encouraging. So, ladies, I would encourage you to listen to the show, but guys, it's great to hear it. Um, There's a lot of insights there that are universal, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons I started it was I was going to a lot of schools to talk to young girls about some of the different challenges I've done, like climbing um, Kilimanjaro and running the Marathon de Saabs. And it was just starting to become more and more apparent to me that these young girls just didn't have any role models around adventure or challenge. They didn't realize that women could be professional athletes. They didn't realize that women were adventurers. And generally, those explorers and adventurers, they see them as male roles. And I really, really wanted to change that. And as I started looking into it more and more, I just kept coming across more incredible women who most people haven't really heard of unless they are in the adventure and sports um sports world but i think i think the reason i wanted to aim it at women is i think women and men learn in in a very different fashion i don't know if that's sort of women when they communicate it's very much sharing their stories whereas with men it's very much um it's done in a very different fashion which is you know that's not saying there's a right answer or a wrong answer it's just the different ways that people communicate and so with the women that I interview I end up talking a lot about or I try to get out more of the human side and their feelings because you know a lot of women suffer from self-doubt and lack of confidence and a lack of belief in their own abilities and it's 
talking to everyday women and these adventurous women of how they overcame those fears and how they took those first steps to going to climb Mount Everest or going to cycle around the world or to, you know, through hike the Appalachian Trail. And actually, when other women hear these stories, they, it starts making them think and they start thinking, OK, well, she did it. That's how she did it. Well, maybe if I follow those steps, I can do the same thing. And so it's all about that encouragement of just getting women to do their own personal challenges. You know, it really is true. One thing that I kind of gathered as you were talking there is it seems like the guys like to talk about the what, what they did, and the gals like to talk about the why, why they did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and it could also be like, I don't know if this is a masculine thing, but I, I think most men don't necessarily want to talk about their fears or their emotions or their discourage from a young age not to talk about that. You know, it's not very manly, you know, along those lines, whereas actually – women or it's, it's okay for women to be emotional I know that's massive generalizations there but I think that is obviously starting to change and so it is definitely the the difference between like the what and the why yeah I think you might have something there well Sarah I would like to revisit more about your show later on in our show but I want to talk more specifically about some of your adventures and then also about why do adventure sports at all regardless of your gender and I think that our listeners will really enjoy that so Let's go to your South America trip. You rattled off before we started recording here of some of the things that you did down there. Hit those bullet points again. It's just amazing. Hit those bullet points. So it was heading, bought my one-way plane ticket into Lima in Peru, visiting um, Machu Picchu, heading over to Bolivia to go and see the salt flats, cycling down Death Road in La Paz, heading down to Chile, down to a live volcano called the Volcano Vilacari, flying over to Easter Island, one of the most most remote islands in the world, heading over to Argentina to go and ride horses and drink red wine, visiting Buenos Aires to go and dance the tango, heading up north to Agassi Falls, and finally over to Rio to go paragliding before catching my flight home. So it was a, it was a whirlwind tour of South America, but it, South America is a phenomenal phenomenal country and i i feel as though i've still missed out on loads of bits of it i just keep looking back thinking oh i wish i'd headed down to patagonia i wish i'd done the w walk i wish i'd spent more time in various places but it was um i was there for about just under four months in total so yeah it was um it was an awesome awesome experience wow you know, as you're rattling through all the things you did and all the places you went, it sounds like, a, I don't know, like a James Bond movie. <laughs> We're just <laughs> jumping from scene to scene to scene and doing one stunt after another. But uh, what, what do you think was your favorite or one of your favorite? It's so hard to pick one. But what was one of your favorite experiences? I think, God, I, there were so many. I think my, my first one is actually going to be Machu Picchu. And I think the reason is that everybody is seen in the guidebooks, you know, these beautiful mountains raised in the sky and this incredible Inca architecture up there. And it, the photos are always just unbelievable. And it'd been built up so much in my mind. I'd heard so much about, you know, visiting um, it's this World Heritage Site that I thought it's just not going to be as good in real life. And then you get to this little tiny town, you get up super, super early in the morning, um, we actually ended up taking the bus up. So we got the bus up to get there in time for the sunrise. And it was just a very magical place to be. You're surrounded by this Inca culture, this Inca history. And you could envision what people were doing hundreds of thousands of years ago. And it was just truly astonishing 
to to visit that place and it and it was um yeah it really did make you make you think and i was very privileged to to go there and to see it and the you know heading out to peru and seeing that was absolutely definitely one of my one of my top top moments and it's 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 a must do on the list i really wish i'd done um, the inca trail walk but that's getting more and more difficult to get onto you've got to book it almost a year in advance and there's also a lot of damage being done to the path because there are so many tourists heading out that way um so that's a difficult balance as well of you know wanting to do the things you want to do but also sort of preserving the environment and not sort of adding to the adding to the destruction as such I think it's kind of fascinating when I think about Machu Picchu, and I've not been there, but when I think about it, um, the idea that there is a, a civilization living that high and how that became important to them, you know, in that setting. We can find ruins of, you know, old cities around the planet, but for some reason, Machu Picchu just captures the imagination. Oh, absolutely. And it's even. Um you visit uh, before you end up going to Machu Picchu most people will head to a place called Cusco and there's lots of Inca ruins around there as, as well and beautiful places that you can walk and um, we headed out for I was traveling with a friend for the first two weeks in Peru and we we headed out to this little tiny place which I'm going to completely forget the name of but we arrived in this little tiny village maybe about sort of a 30 minute bus ride from Cusco and you there was a walk that you could go on and you ended up walking up these massive terraces which you can see going on into the distance so as you looked up into the skyline you could just see um you know uh, the the bricks going up and the, these different layers of the terraces and you walked up walked around sort of the side of a mountain cutting through these pathways which are carved out of the rock and again coming to this amazing inca culture and the history there but that the the Inca is just the Inca history is just absolutely everywhere and it is just fascinating to, to be there and to experience it. There's also a very beautiful train ride as well, which uh, Oli Oli Tambo I think is the name, but it's just a beautiful, stunning train ride to get to the base of Machu Picchu, which I highly recommend as well. You know, some people they hear the words Inca history or Inca culture. And they're like, yeah, what does that mean to me? That was a long time ago. Those are people I don't know anything about. I think it's what, do you know what's almost like amazing about it is um, is the structures that they ended up building and how they built them. It, it's yeah, it's, exactly. But do you know what it is? It's when you go traveling. It's about experiencing these different cultures. It's about seeing things which you haven't seen before, which are completely removed from your from your comfort zone. You don't necessarily have that history at home. I mean, another place I visited was Easter Island. Now, Easter Island is actually incredibly famous for the for these head statues. I think they're called Maori. I think I hope that's right. And they still have no idea now how they move the statues and how they got them into position. And Easter Island is about a six-hour flight outside of uh, Santiago in Chile. And the whole island is a World Heritage Site, a very, very small, tiny island. And it's going there and visiting and just trying to understand how they did what they did you know, so many centuries ago. But it's all about just experiencing different cultures and, and going to places you've never been to before. Well, I think that, Sarah, personally, when I go to a place and I interact with it and I begin to um, I touch it on a more deep level, then I get it. And personally, when I think about going somewhere, it sounds exciting, but I'm always like, well, I don't, I don't know if I relate to that until I'm there and I get absorbed in it. And then it, it comes alive. And wow, I just wish that more people could do travel to these amazing places. And it doesn't even matter 
if you're just traveling within your local area, if you're connecting with people and culture and history and finding out how the world works, there's a real value to that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Otherwise, we become too stuck in our ways and don't have any appreciation for other other people's thoughts, other people's opinions. And also, we may even lose that ability to put ourselves in other people's shoes. And actually, the more you travel, the more you can interact with other people from different backgrounds, you've had different experiences, the richer your life is going to be because of it. Oh, yeah. And I'm also growing increasingly weary of the media filter. You know, we, we the world is presented to us in a certain way. Maybe it's it's motivated by financial reasons or, or maybe there's some other agenda or maybe it's just, well, this is the way we've always reported this. So this is what we're going to talk about. But I, I don't really care for that media filter because it's only one little part of what's going on. No, absolutely. I agree. I, I end up getting a lot of my news now from social media from YouTube, from Twitter, from Facebook. And I don't necessarily believe what is printed in the mainstream media. I always want to sort of do my own little research into it and to say, oh, okay, so that's been portrayed in that way, but those are the actual facts. Or to see what hasn't been reported, what's been kept out of mainstream media. And so if you're not online, you don't get to see the other aspects. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I want to go back to Easter Island you know, oh. the way that this has been portrayed so much is, well, here are these giant heads sitting here, and it's a mystery how they got there, and it, it was considered one of the wonders of the world, you know, because how did these people do that? And there is a, a real sense of mystery involved with that. But, you know, some people have put together, uh, they've put together theories about how the island used to sustain a, a huge tribal culture, and that they actually sacrificed nature to build these heads, because it became so important to them because of their belief system to build bigger and bigger and bigger heads that are more and more impressive and move them great distances. And that in doing that, they actually burned through all the natural resources on their island. And in the end, their society collapsed because it was no longer sustainable. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating. I mean, now it is, it's, it is just a tourist island now. That is the so one reason you go there is to go and look at these these stone figures and to get your photo taken. There's a strip with about 15 uh, mo- moai, I hope I'm saying it right, standing up. And you go have your photo taken in front of it. You go to the uh, the what is it called where they're building all the statues, but, you know, where they're all carving them out. And it is absolutely fascinating as well. I wish I'd been able to do some scuba diving around the island as well, but just didn't quite have, have the time to fit that in. But it's 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 highly recommended. I decided to treat myself as a birthday present. I thought, you know, I'm not sure when I'm going to be back to coming back to South America. So I'm here. I've got this opportunity. It's a cheap flight. Let's just go for it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like so much fun to go out there and to be able to see those things. And you were you and I were just visiting about how when you go and you experience it, it, it becomes meaningful in your life and how the way we understand these places through the media may not be the same impression that we're going to get when we get there and actually experience it. You know, the, it really helps to travel because it helps us to understand this world and understand what it means to be human and and what all of humanity is all about. You're really good about that on your podcast, sharing with all of these adventurous women you know, about what it means for them to be an adventurer and to have life experiences. And I think that's really where I wanted to go next was, why do these life experiences matter? I mean, why do adventure sports at all? I think 
Do you know what it comes down to? I think it's all about challenging yourself. So my motto is if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. And absolutely, I think it's about trying to find the things that you enjoy, whether that's cycling, swimming, walking, running, playing soccer, playing rugby, doing boxing, um, or, you know, in the adventure sports world as well. But actually going out there and doing something which is difficult that you're not going to do every day is going to put you in an uncomfortable situation you're going to have to learn new skills you're going to have to push yourself and actually you're going to you're going to make mistakes but while you're making those mistakes you're going to be learning and developing and growing as a person and so it's not just about having fun which you know obviously doing adventure sports there is a lot of fun it's also about building self-confidence and thinking actually I can't believe I just went and did that but I've done it now. And then once you've done one little thing or whatever it is, that builds your confidence in order for you to take the next step and to move forward and to keep growing and developing. Because if you're not if you're not learning anymore, and if you think about it, most adults, you know, once they've left school, do they do any more reading? Do they do any more self-development? Or is it just watching the TV and living this very sedentary lifestyle where they're staying at home all the time? They're not getting outside in the fresh air which is actually so so important so but yeah it's just you know adventure travel adventure sports it's about having adventure it's about having life experiences it's about having those different experiences it's about learning new things not only about the things that you're learning about but also about yourself what you can do I mean that's one of the things that I learned from South America I'd, I'd left my job in banking where I'd worked for eight years and I was actually very very lost after that and I ended up going over to South America and it sounds like a very cliche thing to say you know to spend four months trying to find myself but actually being removed from from my job from my friends from my family from everybody who knew me and for everybody who'd labeled me in certain things oh well Sarah does this Sarah does that being somewhere completely different on my own, having that opportunity to think about what do I like doing? What do I want to do with my life? How, why do I like the things that I do? Do I like those things or, or do I only like those things because that's what society tells me I should like? And actually taking that time out, you can actually really get away from all of the noise, all of the chaos and just really recenter and refocus and just really get to know you again. Mm, I, I would like to describe something that really is tragic, and I think it describes what life is like for an awful lot of people around the planet who work in corporations, and I'm not meaning to knock corporations here, but I'm just going to speak reality. You know, a person gets up early and usually fights traffic and goes through stressful experiences for their commute to an office, and then they sit in a cube, and, uh, you know, maybe you've got seven by seven feet or eight by six feet or but it's a small space as you look around the cube you know the farthest you can see is three or four feet until you see a bland wall pop up in front of you it's not designed for beauty it's not designed to be an experiential place you know and then you sit at a screen and you process information and you know maybe you're you're very specialized at what you do so you are needed and what you're doing is contributing to society on some level, but the reality is you're sitting in a chair processing information for eight hours or more. And then, I, I don't want to sound too morbid, but you know we reverse that morning commute, we get home. I think a lot of people, they, they have a glass of wine, they have a beer, they feel tired and exhausted and frankly, numb, slightly depressed. They flip on the television 
because they want a distraction, and the next thing you know, it's past bedtime, and then it's, oh, man, I've got to get up and do the same thing tomorrow all over again. And that sounds really kind of kind of sad, and I don't want to make people feel bad for the lifestyles that we live, but I think that we can fall into the rut of never going out and experiencing more than that because it's draining. It's tiring to do that. You know what I'm talking about, Sarah? Oh, completely. And it's you get on autopilot, uh, and it just sometimes uh, weeks would go by when I was working because I was in my routine. And I I love this guy. I don't know if you've heard of him called Tony Robbins. He's an amazing motivational speaker, and he talked about a box life. You live in a box. You drive a box. You go to work to get in your box, your cubicle, your office. You drive home. You have you know box uh, you know boxes of food which you put in your microwave, which you then sit in front of the TV to watch the box. And it, it's very, very easy to do. And it's not anybody's problem. It's not uh, people, I don't think, do it on purpose. But you just end up falling into it. You go with the crowd. You go with the flow. I mean, that, that's exactly what I did. I left university. I headed down to London. I got a graduate job. I started working. And suddenly it was, you know, you had your daily routines every week, Monday to Friday, what you had to do. The weeks became months. The months became years. And it took me, you know, a long time to realize or to almost like to wake up and think, whoa, is this the life that I want to be living? And for me, I was sitting, I was based in Canary Wharf, which is sort of a, a, the big, uh, a big sort of centre place in London where there's lots of head offices, lots of banks, etc. On the 30th floor, it was raining outside. And I realised that I, I hadn't been outside and had fresh air for so, so long because I'd just been on autopilot living, mm. living that life. And I just knew, and I thought, well, do I want to do this for the next 20, 30 years? And then the next question was not, do I want to do it, but can I do it? Like, could I stay and stay doing it? And I just realized I had no passion for it. I had no interest for it. I had no desire to be there. And as soon as that desire has gone, I knew I needed to make a, make a change. And I mean, I was very in you know, a very fortunate position. I did have savings. I did have the ability to leave my job and to take a year off, 18 months off, and you know, try and decide what it is I wanted to do. But many people think more about what they're going to do on their summer holiday than what they're going to do with their with their life and so I think it's always interesting when you do come across people who are ultra endurance runners or you know inline skating world champions or um paddleboard rowers or whatever they may be who are doing something different who are going against the grain and are trying something new because I think other people find it fascinating. I mean, one of the things that I say a lot in my school talks to when I'm talking to young children is I always say to them, have your parents or your friends of parents ever asked you, or what do you want to do when you grow up? And the reason that, you know, they're asking that question is, yes, they are interested in the answer, but also because they're looking for some inspiration. They're not happy in what they're doing and they're trying mm. to think, oh, what, you know, what could I do? Right. Try Paleo Meals to Go freeze-dried backpacking meals. The wholesome gluten-free ingredients follow the Paleo diet, providing you with the lasting energy you require on your adventures. Visit www.paleomealstogo.com and enter TACK25 at checkout to save 25% off your order. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, 
G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection, as well as updates on all of their events. Hey friends, maybe you would benefit from advertising on the Adventure Sports Podcast. It's really simple. We make it easy, and it's not very expensive. So if you have any sort of a business that's involved with adventure sports, it doesn't matter if it's mountain biking, if it's downhill skiing, if it's backcountry skiing, if it's road biking, distance running, ultramarathoning, scuba diving, motorcycling, traveling around the world, whatever it is. If you love adventure, we do too. And our audience is one of the most focused, adventurous groups of people in the world. Why not advertise to the people who really do need to hear what you have to offer? Simply go to theadventuresportspodcast.com and contact us there. One of the reasons that we started the Adventure Sports Podcast was to encourage people who have found that, you know, life is not rewarding, as rewarding as they would like. And it may not be that they're in a corporate job, but whatever the routine is that they've fallen into, it's to wake us up and say there's more out there. One of the mottos that we use a lot is enlarge your life, you know, go make some memories and they're so valuable. I think not everyone has the the fortune to be able to quit their job and dive into a lifestyle of of, uh, pure adventure sport or working only in the adventure sports industry or in the outdoors industry. But, Sarah, everybody can begin to get more activity and adventure into their daily lives, and they can begin to do more on their days off and begin to wake up and experience life in in a bigger, richer way. So that's really what we're about is... If, you, if you're not going to quit your job and go off and, and sail around the planet, you know, that's okay too. But maybe you can, you know, go camp over the weekend or go on a hike or maybe even on your commute, mix things up a little bit. Find new ways to get to the office that will take you to new places and give you new experiences. I'll see. I mean, one of the things I think people need to realize is that where you are in life at the moment is because of all the choices that you've been making. So you are a result of all of the choices and I, I knew that a couple of years ago I thought well actually I've made these choices consciously or unconsciously that this is what I wanted to do and this is how I wanted to spend my time and I think that wake-up call only 
really comes through either something shocking happening, like a death or an illness, and people are suddenly given the opportunity to rethink their life. I mean, a, a, a wonderful lady who I interviewed, um, an American lady called um, Helene Neville, who, who ran around the continental United States, and she was basically told by her doctor that you've got various stages of cancer, you know, brain tumors, every other thing could that could possibly go wrong had gone wrong. You may well as go you may as well go home and die. And she was suddenly like, actually, no, I need to exactly like you said, she said she needed to go and create some memories for her son. So she ended up going off to to run marathons. She ended up writing a book while she fought this this disease. And it's a fascinating podcast because actually that that changed her focus. Um, and that was the wake up call that she needed. But, you know, to run around the continental United States is just absolutely amazing. But there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with working a nine to five job, because if you enjoy what you're doing and you're passionate about it, then that is awesome. Because I know many people who do love their jobs and love what they do. But equally, I know so many people who just dislike how they spend their time. And you spend so much time at work that you really do have to enjoy it but if you can add that extra activity or adventure whether it is going rock climbing or planning that camping weekend and getting those things booked in so you've got things to look forward to to make sure that you've got balance in your life because balance is so important it's not all about work and you know I'm, I'm sure there's this classic stories that people say you know you when you get to 80 years old or 90 years old and you look back on your life you're not you're very rarely going to hear people say I wish I'd spent more time working they're going to say they wish they'd spent more time with their friends and their family and following their interests and their and their passions but it's all about balance you know balancing the financial needs with your own personal emotional needs and your own needs for growth and development mm. so what did it feel like Sarah when you had given your uh, your notice and you had left banking and you had planned the trip to South America and you got on the plane. What did it feel like when you finally landed in South America and stepped off the plane? Was it an immediate new beginning for you or what was that like? Uh, so I quit. I ended up leaving my job in March 2013. And to be honest, for the first few months, I was living the life of Riley. I was living in London. I was, you know, I was going out with all my friends. I had friends who didn't work, so I'd be going out on Tuesday night. I was basically living the life of Riley, and it was ridiculous. And I think I was almost in denial about what it, like, you know, wow, oh, my God, I can't believe I've left my job. And it was, to be honest, for the first couple of months, it was actually incredibly difficult because I didn't have a purpose. I didn't have anything that I needed to do. And so I had all of this freedom. I had this money available, but I didn't really know what it is that I wanted to do and how I wanted to spend my time. So I ended up, you know, going on various holidays and I was here, there and everywhere. And it got to the point where I was like, actually, this is ridiculous. I can't continue doing this. And so heading over to South America in in November, you know, getting on the plane, I was still thinking, oh, this is just going to be a jolly. It's going to be, a you know, backpacking. I love backpacking. I'll meet loads of new people. I'll have some awesome adventures and some new experiences. But I still hadn't found what I wanted to do. And actually, when you don't have a purpose and you're lost, it can be incredibly difficult to deal with. But because South America is such a huge, huge country, is how you travel is on buses. And so you're sitting on buses for 18 hours, 24 hours at a time. And yes, you can watch movies, but you can also end up looking out of the window in these beautiful scenery as you're, you know, you're driving along those, these roads and you're given that time to think. And that's where I came up with, with Tough Girl Challenges, and I decided actually my passions and my interests were travel 
were having adventures, were challenging myself or putting myself in situations that were going to push me both mentally and physically. But equally, it was also about motivating, inspiring women and girls. I wanted to help women who maybe weren't as confident as me or who didn't have that self-belief to go out there and try new things. And coming back and suddenly having a purpose again, having a direction on which to focus my my energies made a massive, massive difference. And for me, the Marathon de Saabs, which, you know, obviously we've talked about in, in previous episodes, for me, crossing, getting to the start line was a huge challenge in itself. But crossing that finish line, that for me was when I felt I'd drawn a line in the sand between my past life of who I was and how I spent my time to my new life of, of, of being me and being different and living my life unapologetically and having belief in myself about what I was doing. So actually it was the finish line of the MDS when I felt the most relief that actually I had made the right decision for me and that actually everything was going to be okay. Yeah, I can see that. I think a lot of what adventure represents to people is just uh, making that change kind of sorting it out and making a change. And you can do that over and over again in life if you need to. But it's so hard for people to say, but if I stop doing what I'm doing, the world's going to come to an end, you know? And I think that overcoming that hurdle, when you did the Marathon to Sobs, you ended up with some health challenges too that were holding you back from the race. And you had a lot more to overcome than just being able to run seven marathons in six days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I learned so, so much about it. I mean, I completely destroyed myself in training because I just sort of threw myself threw myself into it but I think that's almost like my personality type I you know I'm I'm I will I will work hard I'm ambitious I'm driven when I have a goal I go after that goal I will make it happen no matter what and my beliefs were always if I want to achieve anything I have to do everything to 110% I have to be the hardest worker I have to give it my all all of the time And I was just burning myself out. And, Mm. you know, going through that experience actually taught me, do you know what? You you don't need to be working ridiculous hours. You don't need to be training so hard. You need to ensure that you have balance because there's no point in living a life where, well, for me, you know, losing my health and being, you know, I was bed bound. I couldn't get out of bed. I had no energy. I was so lethargic. I had no motivation. I was just... I was just lying there, just not doing anything. And for me, this was um, so difficult to deal with almost psychologically because I was a big believer in mind over matter and you know, thoughts become things. And, and, you know, if you think it, you can believe it and you can make things happen through just sheer will and determination. And when you're in that state where actually you realize it doesn't matter what you want to do or what you're thinking, you can't do anything. It does make you massively reevaluate your life and what's important and if you don't have your health then actually you don't have anything and that's why actually having adventures or getting outside into the fresh air doing sports doing exercise is so so important not only for physically for your body but mentally for your mind as well did you feel like you needed i think some people do and i don't know if this was your experience but did you feel like you needed permission to leave banking and to pursue this new lifestyle I didn't feel as though I needed permission, but I felt a lot of judgment, I'd say, from friends and family in terms of 
if you look at me, you would be like, Sarah ticks all the boxes. She's, you know, she's got a great degree from a top university. She's, she's got the graduate job. She's working in banking. She's got a great salary. She's living in this place. She goes on these you know, wonderful holidays. She's got the nice handbag. She's got the nice shoes. Tick, 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 tick. And I think people put labels on you about about you and what you are and also obviously if you, all your friends are working in the same industry doing the same things then suddenly when you make a decision like that to radically change your life which I didn't necessarily know I was going to do at that point because I thought well maybe I'd go back into banking or maybe I'd do something else um, it makes them question themselves it makes them think have I made the right decisions am I happy with what I'm with what I'm doing so it wasn't necessarily about permission but it was there was definitely judgment but almost like not in a negative way they didn't necessarily realize that they were doing it but those were the feelings that I felt I was getting yeah I I don't doubt it I can imagine people thinking it's a reckless thing why would you do that you've got so much going for you you're going to throw this away and to be honest I also I I felt like a big failure I felt like I had I'd failed I mean why had why wasn't I you know successful why was I why was why was I unhappy when I did have this great job working for this great company? But once you once you'd left, you're suddenly like, God, I you know, I haven't made you know, my dreams were to become a managing director to get on the you know, to get on the board. I wanted to be that senior, I wanted those promotions, I wanted to be um, you know, a top a top woman in the industry. And actually leaving it and dealing with that, oh my God, I'm now no longer going to be doing that role anymore and a lot of um, for me especially a lot of my identity was very closely tied into the role that I was doing and I got a lot of status from saying oh yes I work at x bank um, you know doing x and that was very difficult to deal with and I think it took me time to adjust and to think well just to just to almost just get over that feeling of failure I mean I I have um, a couple of things that I wrote about is um is I think a lot of women deal with this is trying to be perfect. And I do have perfection tendencies. So I, you know, even when I crossed the finish line at MDS, I mostly took about 10 seconds to appreciate what I'd done and what I've achieved, which did take me about 18 months to do. But almost 10, 15 seconds in after it, I was like, right, that's done. Next. What do I need to do now? <laughs> so I didn't actually even enjoy what I'd achieved. And then it's like, Oh, Sarah, you, okay, you came ninth British woman and you came, I, I think I was like 45th woman overall and 441. Could you have done better? What have you trained harder? Maybe you could have got into the top 200. Maybe you could have been a top five British woman. And so it's almost this constant negativity and dealing with, with failure, which which I know most people have, but it's something that I'm really trying hard to to, to deal with and, yeah, and get better at. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's wild. You know, one of my experiences, Sarah, is I get so busy with with everyday life, and that I think that kind of makes you be small minded in some ways. It does me. You know, I just get focused on the routine, and I find that when I have a completely different experience for long enough, I kind of go through withdrawals, and then I begin to wake up, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, this is the world has different colors and sounds and tastes and smells and opportunities than I ever dreamed because I, I stepped out of the routine long enough to experience something else. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, so that, have you experienced that too? Oh, completely. Like when you were saying about 
the the routine is for, for me so at the beginning of this year I was over in Australia training for MDS I was in 40 degree heat I was in Melbourne I was by the coast it was you know it was fabulous you know I love the sunshine and the heat but going out running every day but my, my goal my only goal was the MDS and I'd broken that down you know I had my endurance running plan to work through I knew what I had to do every single day how many miles I had to do I then knew how I had to recover my Epsom salt baths my protein shakes my um, you know foam rolling getting massaged taking my supplements and I was in a routine and because I do what I do because I podcast because I blog and I can do that from anywhere in the world I was very very lucky that my days were I'd be going out for say four or five hours, coming back, having you know having my protein shake, having a hot bath for about an hour, and then it would be into like recovery mode, and then maybe you know a couple of hours work, and then it would just be right rest, recharge before I do it all over again. So my whole routine for three months was running pretty much every day, was making sure that I was recovering properly, and you just get so so focused on doing those day things actually you don't look around you you don't appreciate where you are and what you're doing I mean I was running in Melbourne and it took me a long while to realize or to even stop to say actually this is a beautiful part of the world and I'm running along the <laughs> along the coastline and and it, especially even when I was running in MGS it was one of the things that I made myself do was to stop and look around me every once in a while to appreciate the views and what I could see. Because otherwise, I'd, you know, I'd finish the race and it'd be like, well, actually, I've just spent seven days looking at my feet and where I'm placing them in, in the sand dunes and just seeing different rocks. So I think it's hugely important sometimes. Like routines can be awesome, but sometimes you do need to break out of the routine and just do something completely different. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. So, Sarah, you also have written, let's see, three books now. Is that right? Yes, I just finished my third, which is amazing. I thought I thought the marathon deserves was a tough challenge, but writing my third book, oh my goodness! And it's it's called um, well, it's called, it's called now. It's called Tough Girl Sahara Challenge, and it's all about. It's actually all about my. A lot of it is actually about my journey. A lot about what we talked about now. You know, my decision to leave work, my running history, deciding to do MDS, dealing with all of you know all of the overtraining and the health issues that I was having, and how I came back from pretty much being broken and bed bound and run down to actually getting myself to the start line super strong super lean super fit and in the happiest place I'd been it then goes on to talk about the race and what I was feeling and and then section four it's a quite a big section I sort of talk through all of the different elements that and it's for people who do want to do MDS but also people who best maybe do want to do a challenge so I start off with things like fear and actually how do you create a plan and what are the mental strategies that you can implement so I mean one of them that I did which I you know people laugh at me but I think you know what, it works for me and it, it could work for you was I created my own personal certificate of achievement which I just on the computer I put my name in there you know, congratulations, certificate of achievement to Sarah Williams for completing the Marathon de Saabs in April 2016. I printed it out and I had that on my on my mirror. So every single day I'd be looking at this certificate of achievement and it would, you know, it would help me to get my mind in the zone that I was going to do it. So there's lots of sort of little tips and tricks about that and what to expect and food and nutrition and hydration. So it's a, it's quite, it's basically double the size. All my books seem to double. So my first one was Kilimanjaro and you know, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and the training and top tips for that. And then the second one was chalet hosting. 
which was like double the size of Kilimanjaro, loads of information on how to use cake currency and how to how to get the job in a ski resort and what to expect and how to handle difficult guests. And then the third one, which is all about you know MDS, is sort of doubled again um, in size. So it's just recently come out now and it's an ebook available on Amazon. But I'm really, really proud of it. It's taken me so long to get it ready. So, um, yeah. So what was the name of the book again? So it's called Tough Girl Sahara Challenge. Challenge. Yeah. Congratulations on the books too. I mean, that's no small feat. Writing a book is a is a huge endeavor. So wow, you're just knocking it out of the park. Oh, thank you very much. But yeah, it's actually it's quite interesting write it write it because you get to go back and almost take your time and to relive those moments and and I I sort of I'd made a lot of uh, notes when I came back and written things down but it took me mostly about two months to really start writing things in I'd obviously had a lot of posts from from all my blogging as well which I could use but it was so strange going back and reading those thoughts and how I was feeling because I think now you know it's about six months ago that I did MDS you get that sense of perspective and even now I look back and think how did I like you know one of the long stages is 52 miles in a day and I think the other day I was driving that distance. I, you know, it took me hours. And I was just thinking, how did I run this in one go <laughs> after already running you know, three marathons in the previous days while carrying everything on my back? And yeah, it's just, it's very, very strange. But it's nice to have that perspective now. But it's it's a tough challenge writing a book, actually, because it's there's a lot of, it's almost similar to a challenge because you've got to set your goal out. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to do, when I say the training, you've got to do the writing. You've got to be consistent. So you've got to write every day. You've got to get your team around you. So, you know, getting your proofreader, your spell checker, your editor in, someone in to design the cover, which is like having your personal trainer, your your masseuse or you know your naturopath, whoever else is on your team. But it's a very therapeutic process. But then there's also this scary bit where, you know that you're putting yourself out there and you're, sh- you know, I share a lot on there of, you know, of what I was feeling and the challenges that I face both, you know, mentally and physically. And I just really hope people like it. <laughs> but I suppose that that's also comes back to, you know, wanting to be liked by people and that those perfection tendencies. Um, so, but, but do go and buy it. It's an awesome book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds really, really cool. Just the, the idea of what you would go through in that whole process and the health challenges and everything else and then to accomplish such a huge challenge, I think it could be motivating to uh, live vicariously through a book like that. It, it helps all of us then to set our own goals and find ways to meet those challenges too. Speaking of challenges, let's go back to your podcast. Now, for all of our lady listeners, guys too, it's a great show, but you can't give up the Adventure Sports Podcast just to listen to the Tough Girl Challenges <laughs> podcast. The reality is, though, Sarah, I I want to make sure that we're taking care of our listeners, and we don't see this as a competition. I think you have wonderful content with amazing guests, and I want our listeners to know that there's a resource out there that they can enjoy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that they continue also to always listen to our show, and maybe we can offer some support and encouragement and motivation as well. So that's kind oh, that's of what okay. it's about. But how long have you been doing the Tough Girl Podcast? Oh, before I answer that, I was just going to say, do you know, that is exactly what about it, that it's about. It's not about competition. It's about collaboration. I mean, I still remember on my first day, I'm sure I mentioned this in the previous podcast, that I downloaded, you know, loads of episodes from the Adventure Sports podcast to listen to. And I still remember I had a bit of a mistake with my podcast, but there was this one episode of the lady who'd um, with the dog slaying 
you know, going across, which I listened to. I must have listened to about three or four times, you know, many months ago. And it was just awesome. So there's definitely enough room for, for loads of podcasts. But sorry, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> um, when did you start the, the Tough Girl podcast? So I started the Tough Girl podcast on August the 4th. It was a Tuesday, so I like to think of it as Tough Girl Tuesday. And I started with with four episodes. I had no idea what I was doing. And it was quite funny because I thought, to be honest, I thought, well, it's just going to be my friends and family who are going to listen to it. And a friend messaged me after three episodes. She goes, Sarah, do you, do you realize that you've never introduced yourself? And you just go straight, <laughs> you just go straight into the interview. And I was like, Ah, okay. So I think on the third or fourth episode, if you go back to the beginning, it suddenly go, by the way, my name is Sarah. I've written this long speech out that I sort of read out, you know, very, <laughs> very formal. So my name is Sarah Williams and I, um, but it's a, do you, do you know what it is? It's a massive learning process and it's been this incredible journey speaking to these women from, from all over the world who've done you know, a whole variety of different challenges and had different experiences and had things happen to them, you know, both good and bad or decisions that they've made, which has changed the direction of their life from deciding. I mean, I spoke to a lady called Belinda Kirk, who is an expedition leader for Explorers Connect. And when she was 18, she decided to take a gap year to go to Africa and that completely changed the direction of her life. But then there's also women like Marsha Gordon, who she's a mum of two, and she was the fastest woman to complete the Explorers Glam, Grand Slam Challenge. So this year, in eight months, she climbed the seven highest peaks in the world and also visited both poles. But she was rubbish at PE at school. She'd done no exercise and she just went out there and proved to people that, you know, absolutely it was possible. You know, Nikki Kimball, I'm sure you've heard of Nikki Kimball. You know, she's an elite ultra runner in America. And she was incredibly open about talking about depression and, and mental health and how she's battled with that disease for, you know, for the past 20 years. So all of these women talk about different experiences. And I think what women are really good at doing is they're really good at sharing and being able to reflect back and to think, okay, this is what I learned from that experience. And this is how I use that, you know, that bad experience. This is what made me stronger. This is what made me tougher. This is what drove me forward. And it's incredibly inspiring to listen to. And, you know, some of them are at a very, you know, a very, very high level. So you've got women there who have known since they were eight years old that they wanted to be an Olympian. But then also you've got a mum, you know, a lady called Tana Facey. She's a working mum who at 42, she decided she was going to run the London Marathon. And, had, you know, she'd never been running before. She'd had problems with her knees and she made it happen. And so there, there is something for everyone there and there's just something to learn. And, you know, they're very informal conversations. And to be honest, I'm just learning so much my biggest problem is i keep talking to women who are like they've rode across the atlantic ocean and they've sailed around the world and they've done this ultra jungle run and or they've um they've driven race cars and climbed various mountains and it just makes me keep thinking oh i could do that well, maybe <laughs> right. i should do that so my list is getting longer and longer about the things that i want to go out and achieve yeah travis and i are experiencing the same thing you know the joy of the adventure sports podcast has been meeting wonderful people like you and hearing about people's struggles and adventures and what they're doing with their lives. It, it's so much fun to meet the people and to interact with them. But Travis and I keep on saying this, holy cow, we've got a list of stuff we want to do now that's so long we'll never get to it. You know, we need a couple of lifetimes. Absolutely. And I think for me as well, I mean, one of the things, one of the big things I've realized is that 
everyone thinks people have these perfect lives and whether it's through social media or through what you're seeing or what people put out putting out there you think oh well they've got to you know just have this perfect happy happy life but actually you realize so many people have challenges and difficulties and things that they do need to overcome and it's how they overcome those setbacks and those challenges and that's when it comes down to a choice a choice about how they react how they respond and how they move forward from those setbacks and every single person every single woman that I've interviewed has dealt with a challenge of some sort and it's how they face face that challenge good stuff Sarah it's motivating it's exciting it's always fun to visit with you your energy enthusiasm for getting out there and doing these things I mean it just spills over so thank you very much for your time today it's always fun to visit with you Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for asking some good questions there. So I hope it didn't waffle on for too long. (laughs) (laughs) No, fantastic. And for all of our listeners out there, you know, give Sarah's podcast a listen, but also come back to the Adventure Sports Podcast and tell all of your friends. We really appreciate you, our listeners. And until the next show, get out there and have some fun. You have heard all the hype around paleo, low-carb, organics, diet powders, and the lot. How does one sort out what really works? Good news. Gary Collins has done the homework for you. Regain and maintain your health and live that life of vitality. Learn more at primalpowermethod.com.